Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to episode 17 of the Baseball from Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He is Joe Brand, and we're brought to you by the House of L podcast network. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe has been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine. He covers the White Sox. He covers the Cubs. He does it all for WGN Radio. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at C1 McKnight. He is at Joe underscore Brand1. Please subscribe, rate, and review the pod. If you're listening... And if you're not listening and you're hearing this, then you're, I don't know, being held captive somewhere, I suppose. And if you are, tap a couple of times on the back of the trunk and let us know that you're okay. But if you are, rate, review, subscribe. You're probably doing one or two of those three things. Uh, We appreciate you doing it. It helps us get the podcast to other people. And that way you don't have to creepily tell them, like, hey, I got this podcast you want. Every show we cover the Cubs, we cover the White Sox. We actually will flip the coin of destiny on episode 17 to determine who goes first. But, Joe, uh, there are also some headlines in and around both of these teams and Major League Baseball as well. I almost, almost convinced myself that... The Cubs losing two out of three games to the Minnesota Twins hurts the White Sox more than it hurts the Cubs. Huh. But the fact that the Cubs scored two runs in three games, it's the fashion they lost. It's it's It hurts the Cubs. The Cubs losing their own games hurts the Cubs more than it hurts the White Sox. Meanwhile, the White Sox dropping two of three to the Reds is like, yeah, okay, all right, get back out there. Go see him tomorrow. The White Sox are a charm team of destiny and nothing matters to them except whenever you get into the playoffs that's pretty much the difference between these two teams right now uh none of any of this would be possible without david hockberg and all of the fine folks at team hockberg they helped me put a roof over my head by uh, helping me get the mortgage that you need in order to secure a home they were absolutely wonderful to work with i really enjoyed working with team hockberg not just because i i knew david from you know years past doing radio stuff but because when I signed on with David for him to help me do my mortgage, I learned his team. And the team 
learned me. They, they knew what I needed and knew what I was looking for going into the whole home buying process. They were with me every step of the way. They had my back the entire time. I was going through my very fir first home purchase. They will have your back as well. All you got to do to get in touch with David and the fine folks at Team Hochberg, call 855-56-DAVID or head to the website 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS 1124061. So, as Joe mentioned, the Cubs lost two of three to the Twins. They scored all of two runs this weekend. They are 31 and 22. That's 585 ball, 95 wins if it were a 162 game season, but it's not. So we multiply everything by 2.7 because the pandemic sucks. 83.7 and 59.4 is where the Cubs are right now. The White Sox dropped two of three to the Reds, 34 and 19, 642 winning percentage, 104 wins. You take that over 162 game stretch, 91.8 and 51.3 because COVID sucks. Flip the coin here to start our evening and see who comes up first. It is Heads, which I believe is the Cubs. So let's start there. I have to let's start with something positive, Joe, because so much of the Cubs right now is just run your head through a brick wall kind of frustration. Not because they aren't a good team. Clearly they are good. How good is another question altogether, but they keep losing games the same way they've lost games for five years now. Kyle Hendricks was magnificent in game one of this series. Absolutely dynamite. And what's even better, at least for me, and maybe this is just like, you know, old habits or whatever. They die hard. But David Ross leaves him in there for all eight innings. The prior manager is probably not doing that if it's a playoff game and a one-run game and Kyle Hendricks is starting. Kyle got all eight. He kind of needed to with the injuries that have beset more of the Cubs' bullpen. But Kyle Hendricks getting it done with strikeouts on multiple types of pitches, fastball change and curve, both changes and the curve, that's exactly where you want him sitting, taking one more start before a playoff series. Magnificent stuff from Kyle Hendricks. I think it's also the factor that we're getting towards the home stretch of this season, and it's not a 162-game season, so, so you need these long outings because at this point in a regular season, this is the point where you would start to hit your full stride and start to see these guys going in the longer into games and, and such. And if Kyle Hendricks has it, Kyle Hendricks has it. I don't, I don't understand why you would gamble anything with the bullpen right now. The bullpen has been better. It, it, we've talked about the improvements and I think you're really getting to the point now where you can rely on a Jeremy Jeffress or a Craig Kimbrell possibly, but if he's got it, he's got it, and just keep rolling with it. Um, I did not expect the struggles on Friday, though, to just totally last through the next 18 innings, and that's exactly what happened. You have you mentioned it, I, I want to say, six podcasts ago, that this is just the same old story for the Cubs offense time and time again. It, it really gets tiring to try and break it down, but it's just the same old problems. Uh, Javier Baez just continues to expand his strike zone basically every day. It seems like every time there's an opportunity with runners at second and third, Wilson Contreras pops up. I, I think these guys are really in their own heads. ESPN had that very dramatic shot with Chris Bryant being the only guy on the bench, and then they slowly zoom out, and he's frustrated. And It's almost like, do they plan this? Is this staged? But... 
I, 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 everyone is running out of answers and running out of adjectives for this Cubs offense. Do you, because I'm out of adjectives and answers for the Cubs offense, I just, I, I don't know that it's worth our time to sit down and just kind of berate it over and over again. And I mean, we can, and we probably will, but I wonder, I wonder this, Joe, I'm, I'm trying to look at this from a different, a somewhat of a different perspective. They're going to play a playoff series. And I wonder through some of the struggles here, both uh, in the bullpen and and with the injuries in the bullpen and what we've seen out of the offense struggling, I, I feel oddly comfortable with David Ross at the helm of a playoff team. And, you know, I, I think I probably would have said that even if they were hitting a little better. I think I probably would have said that if they were hitting even a little worse than they are right now. You know, I... I I think that means good things for David Ross in in the long term, too, because I, I think there are some pretty obvious places where he can get better as a manager, and he's told reporters that after games, too. Like, he's mentioned times where, ah, oh, the game got a little quick on me here, or I've been able to slow the game down this way. I think that's a good thing for the Cubs going to a playoff series because hopefully that means bullpen management is, you know, managed. So the interesting thing about David Ross's decision in Sunday's game to pull Kyle Schwarber, and he said in the postgame comments that he'd like to keep it in-house. It's probably the triple that Jake Cave had in the left field that Kyle Schwarber maybe could have put a better effort on. I really hope people and Cub fans especially don't look too much into that. I don't think it's it's a clubhouse issue. I don't think it's like a microcosm of this team. I've said multiple times I think that this is a very hardworking, uh, emotional team that does not second-guess themselves or second-guess their efforts. They're just struggling right now, and they're all in a funk. And, yeah, multi- or different guys have been in funks years before, but right now everybody is in the worst funk that they ever have been as a Cub player but that that's just a manager doing what he needs to do I could see that happening on a very good team I could see that happening on a very bad team I think David Ross is just doing what he needs to do I've also appreciated the way he's approached the Craig Kimbrell issues earlier in the year I think that's a big reason why Craig Kimbrell's doing better as this season has gone along I just he's almost like one of those tell you how it is kind of guys it seems everyone talks about how he's always been a great teammate and therefore he'll be a great manager and and maybe that's just the case it's just that cut and dry but I just don't think he tries to do too much or do too little he's just very straight with these guys and since a lot of these guys have played with him they already have that respect but they just kind of continue that respect I would say so it is the cons- second consecutive start where you Darvish hasn't been you know the guy he's Fine tonight, six innings, nine hits, Sunday night, I should say. Four earned, one walk, nine strikeouts, and the one home run that he gave up. I I don't worry for Darvish at this point. Um, he said it's, it's less than stellar stuff his last time out. We'll see what he has to say after this start. But it, it doesn't necessarily scare me, especially with Hendricks working the way he has. And full disclosure, I decided to uh, to go across the street to the bar to get a cheeseburger and a beverage and watch the game that way. Knowing that it was going to be an ESPN game, I had very little interest in listening to the broadcast itself. So going somewhere where the sound was down, I was I was fine with that. But it did mean that while I was getting home, I was listening to Pat and Ron on 670 The Score as opposed to watching the game. So you tell me... 
how Andrew Chafin looked in his one inning, one hit, and one walk. I know that with Rowan Wick going down and the Cubs already, not that Rowan Wick is a left-hander, but you know what I'm saying, they're also looking for a left-hander, plus Andrew Chafin is the new body that replaces Wick. Your thoughts on Chafin, who at times can be pretty electric and at times can be uh, kind of a hair puller. I mean, the breaking stuff looked good. Um, he, he's that bigger, meatier guy out of the bullpen that can maybe, you know, give you a little extra heat if you need it. But he he, he looked fine. Um, I think Chris Bryant kind of bailed him out a little bit with, uh, you know, a diving stop over at third base. Javier Baez made a really nice play on an infield roller, but, you know, if that guy reaches, it's just an infield single anyway, so it's not like it's solid contact off the bat. But, but yeah, I mean, this was, okay, when they picked up Andrew Chafe and we, we called it a creative move because that's what it was, a guy you didn't really expect, a guy that can maybe get some outs, some veteran aspect, and I, he's, he's one of these guys that, um, who's the guy they got from Boston that the name is escaping me right now? Just Jason Adam? Yeah, Jason Adams. So it's like, it, man, who is just like I don't I don't know who he is. There's like every team has 95 relievers and Jason Adams the guy where I'm every time he comes into pitch, I'm staring at the screen going, "I don't know who you are." Oh, it's Jason Adams. Oh, okay, great. I don't know who the hell it well, is. Well, and especially now with where relievers just have up and down years like crazy. It's not like I, I guess any other baseball era, once relievers actually became a role in baseball where guys have multiple years strung together in a row. Um, but, yeah, I mean, okay, a ground out to Jake Cave, which Javier Baez makes a nice play. Marvin, Marwin Gonzalez, maybe a, a hard contact ball on the left side, but it's still on the ground. Max Kepler's on fire right now, so that's why I give him the pass and also with you, Darvish. So they intentionally walk Josh Donaldson, and he gets out Rosario. So, yeah, I mean, he's just he's a good placement reliever for right now I'm sure he could very well get blown up in a game just for his numbers with Arizona this season but yeah I, I thought he looked he looked fine today not for nothing Max Kepler's a terrific ball player I I I really like Max Kepler despite the fact that he's been bad in 2020 I the the guy will put together four or five game stretches where it's just like oh my god this looks like one of the best players in baseball. And he, his defense is terrific. He's got a hose out there. I know we've talked about the Twins a lot in the White Sox section of the pod, but you know, with them playing the Cubs, we get to kind of sprinkle it around a little bit here. I think Kepler's a really good ball player who's got you know 2020 weird season written all over him. If I were if I were drafting a fantasy team in 2021 and looking you know outfielders in the 13th round or something like that, I would love to find myself a little Max Kepler and buy low on a guy that I think is going to definitely rebound in a, in a Twins team I kind of kind of generally like and, and genuinely like too. I, I think, you know, I want to get back to the, the ESPN broadcast for just a second. I You mentioned the long shot they did of, of Bryant sitting alone on the bench and those cameras kind of telling a story that may or may not be there with that angle. It's strange to me... To have that broadcast, you know, obviously featuring Alex Rodriguez, who was so maligned while he was playing because the broadcast loved to do that crap to him. It would take these long looks at Alex Rodriguez just after somebody had booted a ground ball or after he swatted a baseball out of a guy's hand while he was running to first or while he was clapping his hands in between first and second on a pop-up, right? Like, it, it, it loved to make that guy the bad guy. 
And to see his broadcast, essentially, do the same kind of like, oh, let's find a narrative sort of thing and we'll just make one up if there isn't one. Like, I I don't like that about Sunday Night Baseball right now. I don't like any of that stuff that's involved. And it just, it bugs, it just bugs me. It just bugs me. Sunday Night Baseball should be more fun than it is listening to Vaskersian and A-Rod. I, I was trying to figure out my opinions on a lot of the things that they did on Sunday. Uh, and it started with Ian Happ's player interview out in center field. I mean, they incorporated this, what, last year during spring training they started doing it? I mean, it might have been the Cubs that they did it first with, with Rizzo and Bryant, or maybe this year. I remember Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts had one in spring where he was just terrific. Like, he he was t- he was mid-sentence, and a ball got belted over his head, and it was like, oh, shit, got to go get that yeah, one. Yeah, something like, I'm not going to get this one, boys, or something like that. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, But, you know, and so... That's where I was a little bit confused with because I keep telling, I keep asking myself, why are they able to do that this year? And I'm like, oh, well, of course, there's no fans. They can yeah. you know, hear the earpiece better. But they're doing it in these spring training games, or they did it in these spring training games, so it, it can't be the crowd noise. And I always thought they did it in spring training because these games don't matter. It does add a cool element. And honestly, when they first started talking to Ian Happ, I'm like, all right, let's be really critical about this. Let's see how hokey it gets or how, you know, bushy and, you know, fluffy this interview becomes. But, you know, Ian Happ really is a good guy to interview because he's always got that scowl on the face. He's never a guy that's smiling. So you always just assume he's this standoffish human being. But he's he's pretty clever. He's pretty witty. He's, he's very interesting. He talked about how he's from Pittsburgh, but really a Browns fan, and his dad teaches people who run golf courses how to grow grass the right way and how he's such a good golfer and all these things. And then he brought up an embarrassing story of what he did against the Pirates two years ago when he thought he had a triple in the left field. So it, it I took a 180 on him. I'm like, okay, you know what? This is cool. I, I do credit Matt Vaskersian because that's that's a difficult job because not only do you have to make sure you're asking these questions in between pitches, but I think because, I mean, the earpiece has to be on the whole time, right? So I would you, think so, yeah. You, yeah, so you got to make sure that the interviewee knows that you're not talking to him, you're talking about the game, or you're talking just – to the audience and it's it's a very difficult thing to go through and then I mean the players got to be on top of that too and even like what they were talking about was how long it takes in between you Darvish's pitches and how what challenges the outfielder has with that and he said well you got to make sure that you're not too zoned into the game because there's so much space that you have to be able to basically readjust your focus back to the game if, if you lose track or anything like that. And he's doing all this while he's being interviewed. Like, he's saying all this information. But then they go to Nelson Cruz, and Nelson Cruz, his, either his microphone is tucked underneath his jersey or something, and he just keeps talking like this a little <laughs> bit, and then they just kind of double down, and they keep asking him questions, and then they go, oh, well, we had Nelson Cruz mic'd up. Here's what he had to say, and it's, put in your pocket! Put it in your pocket. Put it in your pocket. And my my wife's in the other room, and I'm laughing. And she goes, "What are you watching? I thought you were watching the baseball game." And I'm like, "I am watching the baseball game." And I'm trying to figure out how this all fits in. But then you know, Vasquezian kind of makes fun of it, and then it did get kind of funny. But it's it's really interesting because I think those things can go really good or they can go really bad. 
Yeah, and either way, you just kind of have to lean into them. I, I like that that the, that broadcast and others are looking for different, like literally different angles to go shoot and players to talk with and stuff in this season. I I don't care for... I mean, I'll just be honest. I, I don't care for Alex Rodriguez's commentary as a as a as an analyst. I, I don't think I think he's better suited for a desk job. Um, and he and he has been good in those roles before. I just he's not kind of a live analyst to me. He doesn't have that kind of like snappy back and forth that I think you need in order to do uh, or make that broadcast real interesting. Um, so Rowan Wick does go down, and that Cubs bullpen is looking yet again at trying to fix some other kind of aspect of it. I would imagine that, you know, they they have a playoff spot, right? I mean, they're, they're going to have a playoff spot. I suppose the most important things for the Cubs right now with their four games coming up against Pittsburgh and then the three against the White Sox, a guaranteed right field to end the season, the most important things are just making sure that as many horses and arms as you – horses and arms. Have them both, right? Have to put the arms in the horses and the horses in the arms. Save an arm, ride a horse. It, like that, the, you got to have as many dudes as healthy as possible. So you're just in these four against Pittsburgh, especially. I would think that just manage the workload is is a number one on David Ross's list. Yeah, because I think they'll figure out the rotation just as it goes along, and clearly that's that's where the Cubs are most suited right now for a healthy, strong rotation. Probably one of the more competitive ones heading into the playoffs. But honestly, Connor, how crazy is it? that right now the main concern of the playoffs is the offense. I mean, the first couple of weeks it was all about the bullpen and how the heck are they going to be able to do anything without a closer. And now it's just like, yeah, you know what, the bullpen's okay. The the bullpen might have some faults, but this offense needs to get turned around. And it's crazy because you would think that the offense is the aspect that would figure things out. I mean, the bullpen looked like a totally lost cause, and who knew that all these former MVPs, former MVP vote-getters, former playoff MVPs are all in a funk for the foreseeable future. Do you think that by the time episode 18 of the podcast comes out Friday morning, that we will have playoff matchups for either the Cubs or the White Sox set. Will their destinies be written down, I guess, before the two teams play against each other for the final three games of the year? I don't think we'll see it for the White Sox. And I think that because, remember how I was saying earlier, I was worried that losing two out of three to the Twins would hurt the Sox more than the Cubs. I can see this possibly being a little bit of a launching pad for Minnesota. I mean, they, they kind of got their, I don't want to say demoralized against the White Sox, but that was a four-game series that hurt. And then they come away with a one nothing loss on Friday to the Cubs. You would think that they're just kind of down and out. But they prevail on Saturday. They get things done on Sunday. All of a sudden, they're within two games of the White Sox. And I mean, let's not forget, the Twins beat the White Sox two series two series earlier this year. Probably ran into them the hottest they've been all season long in that four-game set. So this could be a chance for the Twins to really make a stronger push towards that AL Central crown. That's, that's the reason I'll say that. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. 
With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I, I, I don't know if we can see where the Sox will be matched up for the postseason. And how, that's the other thing that's, that Sox fans have to keep in check. There could be a difference between a number one seed and a number four seed with the Chicago White Sox. I mean, and that—that's a huge. That's a whole. That's a big difference. That's a very, very big difference. I know either way you get home field advantage in the first round, but you're talking about a much different opponent in round two, and you're talking about less home field advantage in round two, and that's why this last week is very important for the Southsiders. And the Twins have some easy sailing too. They have the off day tomorrow. Well, today, I guess, if you're listening on Monday, which you likely are, then two against the Tigers, at. Yeah, they're in Minnesota for that. Then the off day again, and then three against the Reds. And the Reds are playing better, and the Reds have a shot at a, at a postseason berth, right? I mean, in the, in the National League, they're your eight seed right now. Milwaukee is one game off the pace on both the win and loss column behind the Reds, 27 and 27. That's Cincinnati. The Brewers are 26 and 26. Um, and I believe the Reds have the heads-up advantage against the Brewers. They're both at, obviously, 500, the winning percentage. Then you get the Phillies, who are in seventh. But I the, the Bryce Harper news, as best as I can understand it, is we'll see. The guy's dinged up, and, and nobody seems to be saying much out of Philly right now about where Bryce Harper is. He came out of the game Sunday. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was back. I don't know if it was leg. I don't know if it was ankle. Nobody seems to be saying much after he bent down in right field, trying to go after something hit out there hard and off the wall. So I I don't know that bottom part of the national league seems, you know, just about as volatile as you'd want it to be. Not to mention anything about the Cardinals who still have another, I think it's 65 games to play in the next four or five days. So there's there's a lot of jockeying to be done there. The American League seems, like you said, Joe, just a little bit more set in in terms of um, where your bottom three teams are going to land, right? It's the Astros, it's the Indians, it's the Blue Jays. Seattle is way off the pace and, and won't make the playoffs. Um, but, you know, a, a rough week from the White Sox and some moves by the Twins might drop the White Sox from two, like you say, to four. And then, if you drop to four, you are likely playing the Yankees in round one, and I don't know any American League team who wants anything to do with that. The one thing, aside from having a lead currently in the American League Central, but one other thing that the White Sox have working in their favor, and this was brought up by Steve Stone on Moley and Haw, they have two less losses, and... In a world where you can make up the wins, but you can't make up the losses, that's what really helps the White Sox ahead of the Twins in this scenario. Uh, I want to go back to the National League because you bring up a really good point. It's just crammed. It's packed to the gills with, okay, like you said, the bottom two spots. But you take the Cardinals, who are 26-24, and you take the Giants, who are two spots out of the playoff race. They're 26-26. and 26. They're a game behind the Cardinals. So that's why the NL is just kind of a free-for-all right now with who's where, who's getting in, who's facing who. And how crazy is it that the Dodgers, Braves, 
and now Padres have all clinched playoff spots. And the Cubs are number two, and they have yet to clinch that playoff spot. I mean, that that just shows what's going on in the NL Central right now. Thank you, Cardinals off days, right? I mean, that's, well, Cardinals makeup games, I suppose, is what they're actually having to credit there. As as you said, the, the Cardinals are two games off in the loss column. Cubs have lost 22. The Cardinals have lost 24. So the Cardinals will play three against the Kansas City Royals in the next three days and then have five games, one, two, three, four, five, five games against the Brewers to end things over the final four days. Their doubleheader, last one of the year, at least that's on the schedule right now, Last one of the year is at Milwaukee, or rather, I guess they'll be at Bush Stadium, but one of them will be at Milwaukee, technically speaking, in the first half of a double dip on Friday. They've gotten through those games. They've gotten through all of this baseball in way better shape than I ever thought they would. I'll I'll just be straight up. I, I thought that at some point around their second doubleheader in three days against the Brewers this last week, that the wheels were just going to fall off for the Cardinals. I'm I'm impressed. Well, our conversations about this entire sport have changed monumentally because at the beginning of the year, we kept talking about how long is the season going to last? How about this fan noise that's manufactured into the ballpark? Like, those were our conversations, and now it's it's just become the norm so much. But honestly, yeah, the fact that, I mean, what was the final number? The Cardinals were going to play 56 games in 51 days or something like that. 50, 54 and 49, I think is what I remember reading. But, I, I, you know, who knows? I don't know what the hell they did anymore. <laughs> but, but that does, I mean, yeah, that sounds right. Every, everything has just changed so much about just the whole conversation of all this it was it was oh what's it going to be like without fans in the stands and now I I kind of keep forgetting that fans aren't allowed like I have to remember oh yeah the NFL sometimes fans are allowed like I'm just so used to the norm now that no fans are allowed to any sporting events how about the first week of the season when teams won they were doing not high fives but feet fives you know there was all this more precaution yeah all the all all the arm bumps but now now teams are clinching and now hugs are being had the norms have changed but we got to give credit to MLB because there have been zero positive tests for the past couple of go-arounds with these testings so there have been better precautions there have been more responsible players um, and I think that's what ultimately led to having a bubble basically for the playoffs. I'll tell you what, I the weirdest thing about this season for me is the fact that you know, we're a weekend away from the playoffs and for the last week I've had to wake up, you know, every morning waking up and starting to watch baseball that day, I have to remind myself that the playoffs are basically tomorrow. Like it's just I it's just so ingrained in me to look at the total number of games played and go, is it under 60? Well then who cares? Everything's going to change three or four more times before we get to October. And that's not it. That's just not what we're doing this year. And I really have to remind myself that the playoffs are essentially tomorrow. And this is all the baseball we get to watch. And we'll see what happens the rest of the way through. You know, that said, for the White Sox, at least on their side of the equation, I get, you know, and you mentioned the the volatility in the American League, right? And the idea that the White Sox very easily could slip to fourth in the American League, and, you know, that would be unfortunate, especially having to play the Yankees, and yet I still, it's very difficult for me to watch that this last weekend series against the Reds and get upset at any one thing. 
They are a baseball team full of humans, the same as everyone else, except for the Yankees, because they're all sent by Satan, I think, to consume us all. Um, but they're they're just they're they're guys. They're guys, and they had a bad series against the Reds. They hit a bunch of home runs on Saturday. They didn't do that so much on Friday or Sunday. That's your end of the ball game. I wish Dylan Cease hadn't walked to the ballpark. That's that's really your weekend. That's your White Sox weekend. Well, and it's also they're they're playing the hits. They're they're doing what these White Sox have done pretty much all season long. Once they figured things out after getting a doubleheader sweep victim of the St. Louis Cardinals earlier in the year, they hit home runs. They had trouble with the rotation. Friday they had a bullpen day, and let's not forget the fact that these guys clinched the Thursday before whether it was a hangover effect or not I mean th- that was a game that was somewhat meaningless if you want to use that word I don't think it was a hangover effect I think it was a literal hangover <laughs> the, the actual act of being <laughs> hungover and it's okay right, yes yes and probably so but you brought it up before the podcast and Garrett Crochet needs mentioning on this podcast because He's the first guy since Mike Leake, I believe, to yeah. skip the minor leagues. Obviously, crazier scenario than when Mike Leake came up to the league in 2010. Ironically, at the home ballpark of Mike Leake's major league debut of Cincinnati, um, former ASU product. But that guy's lethal. And um, I don't want to go ahead and start comparing Garrett Crochet to guys that have full major league careers and who he could be in that way. But that is a guy that can be a huge piece in the playoffs when you just come in for an inning and throw, oh, 10 or more pitches that go, oh, 100 miles per hour or more. I used this comparison on the radio earlier today, and I'm not in love with it, but it's just because the White Sox are good right now, and this guy kind of came up out of nowhere but he's almost getting the Bobby Jenks effect on me. It's just here's this fireballer, this guy that does not care, will just blow batters away, and let's see how he does in the postseason. And he's kind of shown us what he can do at the major league level after just two innings. He's I've got a bone to pick with Garrett Crochet. I he's wearing his pants in like the, <laughs> it's like I've, the pull up pants. <laughs> It's with with the sweatband elastic at the bottom. I this is no one goes in to create a player and is like, you know, give me the give me the give me the Maddox ninety two look. Give me the but without the stirrups. I don't want the stirrups. It's I joggers. Just want socks. It's and baseball I wear, joggers. It's like he it looks like he's wearing his his younger brother's baseball <laughs> pants. It, he doesn't have pants that fit, and it drives me insane. I, I, it is, it is ruining the enjoyment of watching him pitch. He's got bad baseball pants. I'm really glad, glad you brought that up because I, I mean, I didn't take away two minutes to think about it, but of I totally not. noticed. You're not insane. <laughs> I'm insane. But I, I totally noticed it today. I'm like, wow, you don't see that. It's like a '90s look. I want to say, it is. yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The low pants, but they're just pulled up a little bit above the ankles. It's like if Chris Sabo pitched. It would be. It's <laughs> awful. 
it's and it, like it almost like his hat isn't one of those new new era fitted hats. It's like one of those raggedy loose. It's got, a, it's got the he's got, the dimples in the front. He's got a zephyr. It's not even a new era. <laughs> he's got to wear a zephyr out there. He, poor bastard. But yeah, no, I I saw it too, and and that's what I mean. It's just this unique guy. Um, I, I'll be honest with you. On Friday, I was I was driving at a road trip, and uh, so I'm bouncing around broadcast because that's what I like to do on the MLB app. And the Reds broadcast was just drooling over this guy. It's like, oh my God, not not a major league day or not a major league game ever in his life. And this is what he's doing. Oh, this guy can carve up hitters for a long time, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, that's kind of cool when you hear the other aspect of it. Whether, you know, a home broadcast, no matter what team it is, if, if they're just trying to blow up a guy because it's their own guy. I mean, these guys were all in on Garrett Crochet. Uh, nice to see Dallas Keuchel go four, give up four hits. He walked three, but he struck out seven. I thought the stuff looked good. Command was, you know, okay. Three walks and four innings for Keuchel isn't exactly what you're looking for. So we know what the assignment was for Keuchel. It was make a start, get us four innings. You'll make one more before the playoffs and, you know, just be healthy, be comfortable. Let us know when when you've had enough kind of thing. And I... I think that's fine. I, I, that's really probably the most important thing from the White Sox weekend. Like, yes, Garrett Crochet is fun, um, but he's a kid who's never thrown pitches before at Major League Baseball. He could easily give up a handful of dingers next time out, and that would be fine too, right? You just He is what he is. He's a rookie. Is Keuchel healthy? Do everything you can to keep him there. That allows you to go ahead and take that first series against whomever it's going to be, and if it's going to be the Yankees, then you need it to be Giolito and a healthy as possible Dallas Keuchel. Clearly, the White Sox didn't want Dylan Cease to do Dylan Cease things today. But the way you look at today's or Sunday's loss, it's kind of okay, I guess, in the way that it happened because they had a bullpen day on Friday. They used basically the better guys out of their bullpen on Saturday who worked five scoreless innings right after Dallas Keuchel. And then Sunday, okay, get Steve Ciszek a little bit more work, see how Garrett Crochet does in his second appearance, and all that pretty much worked out. Obviously, Ross Detweiler had his problems. I want to ask you this, though, and this is a thought I've generated, so totally shoo it down if it's asinine, but should White Sox fans kind of be rooting that Edwin Encarnacion and Nomar Mazzara do poorly the rest of this week so that Ricky Renteria just has to put in Anna Bangle in right field and just has to put James McCann as the designated hitter just so he has no other options to put them I, out there. I would give you, boy, this is that's a tough place to be. I get where you're coming from with Nomar Mazzara, um, especially because what we're talking about there, and I'm glad you brought this up. I might have left this for the next pod, but let's do it now because that way we can ride it all the way to the playoffs. I I. Nomar Mazzara is not a good right fielder. Full stop. And if you're putting Adam Engel out there in right field, he's a terrific defensive right fielder. He's got a decent enough arm to make that work. Then what that enables you to do, at least from my perspective, is go, okay, Adam, you can kind of shift that outfield toward Aloy Jimenez and give Luis Robert that extra step and a half toward Aloy Jimenez from wherever you're shifting guys you cover more ground because Adam Engel is in right field that hopefully takes some burden off Aloy Jimenez and his inability to play left. I I don't 
I would not be messing around with Nomar Mazzara. I don't, I don't care that he went deep for the first time, like, yesterday or whatever. Like, I, that's nothing to me. It's nothing to me. And it's fine that they took a flyer on Nomar Mazzara, and, and that's a fine flyer to take if you're playing 162 games. Who knows when he gets hot and whatever. But this isn't that, and you got to have your best defensive outfield out there. And Adam Engel's hitting the ball a little well. I, I don't know that I can take you as far with the Edwin Encarnacion argument only because the guy has been there before and that's somewhat valuable to me on a team that's going to have so many guys that just haven't been to the play, the playoffs yet. Um, even your veterans. like Jose Abreu's never been in a playoff game. And no, I don't think it'll matter for him all that much, but I still err toward a little bit of experience. When I'm playing Edwin, I know he's DHing, and that doesn't cost me on the defensive end, right? They're not making DHs play defense yet. Rob Manford hasn't gotten that drunk and made those rules changes, so hopefully we're good there. Let me know if they do. I, and then what? What does worry me a little bit is if McCann is a DH, Grandal is in the lineup, and now I've got my two catchers in. And I know I've said before that I like being aggressive with that and pushing in if you've got catchers that hit. But in a short playoff series, I I don't know that I'm as aggressive. I think that's a, a regular season strategy I like playing a little bit more often. I don't know that I love doing it as much in a uh, in a short series because of what that could bind you up in with runners on base in a big situation coming around. You get you get caught with your pants down a little bit. So. The assessment is is totally fair, and I, you're right for leaning towards that situation more for Mazzara than Encarnacion. I I'm even okay with just keeping Mazzara on the bench for you know that that lefty matchup. I mean that that's fine. He's he's a left-handed. I guess you I can use the word power hitting outfielder, even though he has one home run with the White Sox. Yes, he's got those one one home run. He has had power <laughs> but, once. Um, yeah. Oh, God, it's but, so but, I mean, the catcher situation, it's the playoffs, and there's no guarantee that James McCann's going to be a White Sox catcher next year. So I, I'm okay with seeing both those guys in the lineup because you're going to need the offense. You're going to at least want to rely on that offense. I understand the risk. I do. I brought it up multiple times, but I think that's more of a regular season problem because then you have to worry about only having one primary catcher available for a long stretch. But I mean, it's the playoffs. You're going to need that offense. You're right. Edwin Encarnacion more than likely will get a lot of at bats, but I, I just, I like the way that James McCann is swinging the bat. I just don't want to see, I don't want to see yeah. what happened to the Cubs in 2008 where. Lou Pinella was batting Reed Johnson and playing him in center field towards like the end of the few months. And then for oh, some reason, yeah. once the playoffs come up, he brings back Kosuke Fukudome and puts him in center field when he was never playing the guy the last couple of months. Why? Because he could not hit. So I just don't understand. I don't know. I guess I guess my 2008 Cub fandom is coming back and, and hoping for the not that same situation for the White Sox this year. But I don't know. Just play the hot hand. So is... Is is Dane Dunning the Ted Lilly in that situation then? Like that that'd be the nightmare scenario where Ricky doesn't get to Dane Dunning because he's the the fourth guy that he wanted to throw because everybody wanted Cease in game. <laughs> I don't want to go that far. I mean Dane Dunning's starting Dane Dunning's starting game three. I mean that's where it's Yes. That's that's set. It that is think about that. Think about that if you're a White Sox fan. Think about how remarkable it is 
that you have gone into this season with with all sorts of unknowns about pitchers being hurt and Kopech opting out and all that kind of stuff, and then you can confidently, as long as his leg doesn't fall off his body on Monday night, say that Dane Dunning is starting Game 3 of a playoff series and feel really damn good about it. Well, how about this? Right now, are you going with Reynaldo Lopez or Dylan Cease? Uh, Keichel, <laughs> Keichel go Lopez. and short rest? I don't know. <laughs> Well, and because that, but that's the thing because okay, we we talk about game four, but there's there's no game four unless you move on to the next round, and if you move on to the next round, that means Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keuchel have already pitched. Yeah. So what is your rotation looking like for a best of five series in the second round? It's very difficult. It, it's so difficult to map this whole thing out because there's so many uncertainties. There's so many unknowns, and who knows? The rules might change a day before the playoffs start. For all we know. God, winning the first two. Like, seriously, I'm, I'm sure many teams feel this way. But for, it seems like for the White Sox, God, you win those first two and you get that day off and then you get to hit the reset. And that means that means Dane Dunning is your opening night starter for round two of the playoffs, I guess. But that means it's Dane Dunning and then human. And then just like a, some guy for a game two and then back to Giolito and Keuchel for three and four. Like, all you got to do is have a Dane Dunning night. Okay, easy enough. And then don't all die on game two and then come back with Keuchel and Giolito and you should be good to go. I'd, I'd like to make a motion to remove the TBA acronym and change it to human. Some, some human. <laughs> guy. Guy will be throwing tonight. Hey, Here's the line hey, for guy tonight. It's like in hockey when, when they don't want to disclose the injury. Oh, he's, he's got a body injury. Got, yeah, well, we'll see how he presents tomorrow morning. That does it for episode 17 of the Baseball From Home podcast. Really looking forward to episode 18 because we will likely have playoff matchups. Episode 19, we will definitely have playoff matchups. And then episode 20, we start the playoffs. It's going to be insane. We'll let you know how we're going to handle the playoffs with the podcast release dates. We will keep you posted. Thank you for listening. We'll check you on Friday morning for episode 18 of the Baseball for Home Pod. He's Joe. I'm Connor. Have a good one.